after these messages, we'll be right back. I can't believe I ate that whole thing. Are you in good hands? And now, a word from our sponsors. Hey kids, welcome to After These Messages. This is the podcast where we talk commercials. The good ones, the bad ones, the ones where people say weird shit like this. Doors go up, doors go down, that's what garage doors do. I am Genevieve Has. As always with me is Andrew Walsh. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Vives. Uh, thank you for doing everything as usual. No, it's not as usual, but it is It is today for sure. I did everything because I needed to record early, so I volunteered to... Uh, if I said, if I take the lion's share, can we record early? And you'll also notice that it is my voice you are hearing at the start of the show. So I'm learning a new life skill, which is called opening a podcast. Don't get too ahead of yourself. <laughs> it's still my show. You're still the sidekick. No, of course, I'm joking. Um, you had a good idea for the topic today. Something that we've kind of, I don't know, kind of touched on in previous shows. But now we're really... I'm not going to use the word deep dive anymore, by the way. Okay. Scratching it That's off of my list. Of, the, uh, yeah, uh, too, list. too many people describe their podcast as a deep dive on X, whatever. Like, I'm done Huge with deep dives. Total sidebar here, but I was at a conference recently, and you know, at conferences, you used to hear, you'll, you'll always hear a lot of jargon, and for years it was like low hanging fruit mm-hmm. or things. This year I noticed that every presenter used the term table stakes. I've never even heard of that. You know what table stakes are in yeah, poker. Yeah, when you get a giant steak, put it on the table. You don't stand and eat a steak. You, you got sit it. down to no, eat exactly. it. No, exactly. Now, table stakes is kind of like what you need to even be at the table to even... It's like the basic bare minimum. Mm. And just person after person in their presentations, this is considered table stakes now. This is just table stakes. In now. other words, it's like the very basic of right. what you need to do. But like, it's like the jargon You might even jour. say like a certain... Some people believe like, hey, if we're going to be in this space, we have to have a podcast. That's just table stakes. That's just table, table stakes. stakes at this point. Exactly. I, when you first said it, I really did picture a big cartoon steak, by the way. I'm probably uh, That's a little, why you don't work in corp <laughs> I'm a little hungry. All right, so what do we got coming up? Today we are talking about celebrities, one of my very favorite topics, and whether there's anything that they can't do, I mean, besides uh, avoid Twitter fights or drive sober. <laughs> uh, no, we're going to look at the brands that have nominally, uh, at least, hired celebrities as their creative brand directors uh, for either particular campaigns or for their whole their whole product line. Um, and we're going to look at those brands that, that went beyond just making them the face of the campaign, but theoretically also the brains of the campaign. And if there's one thing that celebrities are known for... It's all their brains. Because we did a couple of shows all about celebrity cameos and commercials, and that's that's a whole different thing. But this is when they hire somebody and they say, hey, Matthew McConaughey, like yes. we want you to be the creative on this, like start to finish, what are your ideas? He's probably the patron saint of this whole idea, although he was not the first to do it. I, actually, Jay-Z is probably the patron saint of this whole deal. Oh, yeah? He does. He, he has done this for a, half a dozen products, including Budweiser, of course, for the Brooklyn Nets, uh, which I believe he's a part owner of. Yeah. And with Jay-Z, I'm willing to go out on a limb and say, he's such a creative force and he's such a businessman. Wait, is he a businessman or is he a business? <laughs> I can't even say man. without laughing. Uh, yeah, Jay-Z is such a creative force that I'll, I'll, I'll give him credit for probably being more involved with something creatively. But a lot of these are clearly celebrities who didn't like the idea of just being a spokesperson, didn't like the title brand ambassador or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And so they have... Well, that seems different, too. A brand ambassador seems more like, we have this idea. We're going to bring you right. on, Angelina Jolie, and you're going to spread the word of this thing, as opposed to somebody who says, this is what... 
hey, man, thanks for hiring me. This is what I think you should be doing with your whiskey. That is the worst McConaughey anybody has ever I'm done in I'm glad you said history. it was McConaughey. Yeah, no, no I don't know. Was that Matthew Modine? Who was that? <laughs> the thing about these these celebrities today, and I, I'm going to really... I'm going to try to rein myself in uh, here. Ah, celebrities these days. But this is going to be a show dripping with contempt. So if you are a celebrity, you might want to turn your podcast off now. No, wait, don't! <laughs> wait, no, there's no other podcast. You've already <laughs> gone through everything else on your podcast list, so uh, we're all that's left. But this does feel to me like in general... Like it's something that celebrities need to have their egos pampered. So it's not enough to just tell them, oh, you're beautiful or oh, you're a good speaker or oh, oh you're a good actress or mm-hmm. whatever. They also have to be told like, oh, you're a creative force. We're so glad to have your energy. Well, on it's this. just like, I mean, I think this was something well, I could be wrong, but it seems like it was bigger in the 80s and especially 90s. But like any actor who got to a certain place in their career then became a director right and it, then it feels directed like that. one movie and then it was embarrassing they never did it again so we'll get right, into yeah, this we'll get in some detail that, yeah. as always we'll check in with the ad council um, anything but, big in there um anybody oh, sending me any gifts no gifts well i got some no bird related things but i won't get into that in the ad council thank you though to, to those who did send in some bird things okay well let's start with this uh celebrity stuff if i wasn't a celebrity would you be so nice to me if i didn't have cheese like every day would you still want to be with me? If I wasn't a celebrity, would you be so nice to me? If I didn't have cheese like every day, would you still want to be with me? Baby, if I couldn't have you, I, I am so proud of this. Yeah. I am so proud of this poll because... I didn't know how I was going to start this, the show or the segment today. I was just going through Spotify and I came across this song. Celebrity, celebrity. It seems perfect. And who is it but Justin Timberlake back what? in the NSYNC days. And couldn't couldn't be more apt considering he's one of the celebrities we're going to talk about today. So give me an attaboy. Attaboy. Thank you. Uh, before we get to that, there are a, actually a lot of celebrities. I found a kind of, not uh, this is not an exhaustive list by any means, and I'd love to hear from the Ad Council Um about celebrities that they hear that you hear about uh, doing this kind of work, um, but here are just a few that have gotten this some some form of creative title or credit for their endorsements. Um, that includes Lady Gaga, who was creative director for Polaroid. Oh, uh, I remember that. Yep, Swizz Beats uh, as creative chief of culture for Bacardi. Oh, makes um, sense. Rob Riggle for Holiday Inn, which or Holiday Inn Express, which I've seen those ads, and I, I have to believe that's like tongue in cheek. I'm sure. Yeah, I didn't know about that, but there's no way Rob Riggle was actually. I mean, th- this is not a Rob Riggle game. Can I guess one? By the way, and I've yeah. not looked at your list. When you were talking about this over breakfast today. I thought in the back of my head, I'll bet you a million bucks Will I Am does one of these, and I have no evidence of that. You're, you're nodding. You're correct. Uh, Will I Am was was the one for Intel. Intel. Yeah. I wonder if I knew that. I don't think I knew that. It just seems like the types of people who are going to be doing this thing are going to be the Will I Ams of the world. Yeah, it's very much that, those people. People who are kind of triple, double and triple threats. Um You've got uh, Nick Cannon, Chief Creative Officer for Radio Shack, which is actually a really funny story about that. Who's that? Um, Nick Cannon, he's a you know singer, performer. He was married, is married, was married to Mariah Carey. Will be married. Oh, no. What is he the one? They didn't get married, but then they broke up and they had this huge... That's what the whole huge multi-million dollar lawsuits about palimony... And lifestyle. Is this he you moved. trying to trying to get your Nick Cannon your your palimony? I'm always case trying to get made. Nick Cannon. Or I'm always trying to get palimony from you. 
Um, I'm not sure. He's he's tied to Mariah Carey, uh, but I'm not sure what the all of the details of their relationship. Um, anyway, and I mentioned Jay Z, who's who's done Budweiser, who's done a bunch of other ones. Um, Alicia Keys actually was the global creative director for uh, BlackBerry, and this is actually a pretty funny story how that relationship came to an end. Uh, she supposedly worked with the app developers, content creators, and retailers. So you know, soup to nuts, working on these important BlackBerry products. And this is from RIM, which is the company that made BlackBerry. Research in motion, right? Uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, from books to music to films to apps, Keys will lead the charge of enhancing entertainment consumption and distribution through the power of BlackBerry 10. Until Keys was caught texting from her iPhone, despite having yeah. told the New York Times that BlackBerry was her only mobile device. Instead of apologizing, Keys claimed to have been hacked. BlackBerry fired her. <laughs> Wait, she was hacked somebody saw her using an iphone in public and she's like somebody hacked real life she doesn't understand what hacking means (laughs) i was hacked i love that so it's just it really is an excuse for anything now like you can do something in front of somebody and be like i don't know i was hacked hacked. you know it's it's, it's the new it wasn't me (laughs) i kind of i kind of respect that (laughs) well blackberry blackberry did not care did not care for it uh oh i said there nick cannon that there was a good story about him in radio shack so this is also from the same article uh about that I read that uh, Alicia Keys story and somebody, so Radio Shack claims that uh, Cannon's relationship with them was much more legit, much more authentic and organic. Um, and this is according to Michael Tatelman, the company's chief revenue and marketing officer. And this is sa- kind of a sad story because there is no Radio Shack now, right? It's like mm-hmm. totally different. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it might still exist in some corners of cell phone stores yeah. or something. Yeah. Anyway, according to Tatelman, Cannon approached the company last summer, I think this was like now a couple of years ago, and asked to get involved. He had a lifelong affiliation with Radio Shack. It's almost hard to fathom. When he was like eight, his grandfather died and left him music gear and mixers, and he had no idea what to do with them. He went to his little local Radio Shack in San Diego, and they taught him how to use it. His mother told me this story directly, Tatelman added. I know it's true. <laughs> and then this is my favorite little coda. Uh, Tailman won't disclose how much or even if Cannon receives any money for his involvement, but they talk, quote, literally all the time. Oh, literally. I God, how is like, he getting any I sleep? love this, like, fangirl, like, you can just picture Tatelman being like, look, we're not, it's just, like, not even about money. We're just, like, really good friends. <laughs> um Here's here's one where it's another creative director, and this one to me is like the most smelling of bullshit. Can I just quickly say, Nick Cannon? They were married and oh, they yeah. did divorce. I don't know why I thought it was a palimony thing, but it it was a big. You're just always trying to make a case for palimony. I think I think anybody in my position would. Um. So Gwen Stefani, uh, of no doubt, obviously, and also no I think, doubt. and uh, and now famous solo artist. Um. She starred in a 2005 campaign for HP. And I think that would have been before they, like, HP kind of disintegrated and then it split into two companies in, like, a, just a couple years ago. Does it not even stand for Hewlett-Packard anymore? Not, yeah, it split, it split it's like into... KFC? Yeah, there's sort of two companies. There's Hewlett-Packard Enterprises, which is, like, sort of all of the other junk. And then there's HP, which I think is, like, their main business. Mm-hmm. But anyway, okay. this anyway, is any, when they were still anyway. one company. Um so she started in the campaign for HP and allegedly designed the HP PhotoSmart R607 Harajuku Lover's digital camera. This is a description of the camera, which frankly does sort of sound like Gwen Stefani designed it. Designed for her fans, the limited edition, only 3,000 produced, HP PhotoSmart R607 Harajuku Lover's digital camera by Gwen Stefani... <gasps> 
<laughs> is styled in turquoise and white with maroon-colored accents, including hearts and Japanese kanji and katakana characters. I'm sure I'm butchering these words. Mm-hmm. My apologies. The camera retails for $249 and features a host of stylish extras, including a carrying case and charms designed by Gwen herself. Mm. And then this was Gwen's quote from the, from the release. We decided to launch a fashion and accessories line based on the same Japanese influence as my album, Love Angel Music Baby. A camera, a camera is clearly a modern-day accessory. You can tell this is from 2005, I was going to say, yeah, this way. is so old. I'm looking at the photos of it. I'm just like, Can- what's a camera? What's a camera? So I thought, why not design a unique, stylish version of it? So we added it to the product line, and it's super kawaii. That means super cute in Japanese. Oh, my God. It's super kawaii. Remember, remember the whole Harajuku lovers and the Harajuku? It was problematic uh-uh. in the extreme. It was before. It was probably the... What is Harajuku? Um, please don't ask me to define it, but she went around for a while around the time this LAMB, uh, Love Angel Music Baby album came out, like with a bunch of, like with this entourage of Japanese schoolgirls, and it was the very definition of cultural appropriation. And I think it probably in many ways kicked off that discussion, uh, for a lot of people. So it was problematic. So it's a style. I'm looking at it. it's a place. It's a place in Japan, but it's also now a style. Right. If if I'm understanding it correctly, with an on the fly, uh, Google. I I think um, I I don't want to I don't want to say too much about it because I don't have a good understanding of it, and anything I say will be both wrong and an oversimplification. But why don't you play this ad from her? Uh, that's from her creative leadership. So you've got Gwen Stefani lying on a bed as photos fall through the air and follow her around as she's talking. Sometimes it's so hard to find what it is I'm trying to say. People might think you can turn creativity on and off, but it's not like that. It just kind of comes out, a mashup of all these things you collect in your mind. You never know when it's going to happen, but when it does, it's like magic. It's just that simple, and it's just that hard. Explore your creativity with projects designed by Gwen Stefani and HP. Am I sexist for just hating the shit out of that? I really hate that. Like hearing her, like her kind of vocal fry and being like, creativity is just like, it's a big basket that you unpack and then you take photos of it. And like, I just sort of feel like, I, I don't know. I, I hate, I immediately hate oh that. HP, call us. <laughs> If you're still a company I'm with a an celebrity. ad budget, call us. I uh, we're celebrities. So anyway, I hated that, but I also felt a little misogynistic because probably the reason I hate it has something to do with the way she's delivering it, and I don't know. I felt bad for my immediate. I don't think you need that. to feel bad. I, I dislike it in in the sense that there's nothing interesting or novel about this. It is cut and paste pablum about creativity, and to like act like it's some incredible uh creative outpouring by one of our one of our generation's greatest artists is frankly hilarious can i play something for you that i know you've heard before but i need to play it right now creativity to me is just like it's like a bird like a friendly bird that embraces all ideas just like shoots (laughs) Out of its eyes, all kinds of beauty. <laughs> That's from Thirty Rock. How how different? Not at all. <laughs> is Gwen Stefani's commercial from barely that? at all? 
So you were annoyed by that one. I can't wait to hear what you have to say about this one because it's involving your most favorite human, Cam Newton. Well, as long as it's a guy, I'm okay with it. <laughs> uh, Cam Newton, uh, if, if that name isn't ringing, ringing an immediate bell for you, is the uh, quarterback for the Carolina Panthers. He went to the Super Bowl two years ago, had a mediocre season last year. That's too much detail. Sorry. They were basically undefeated the year before More that. He was just like a yeah. huge star. And he's very kind of flamboyant out there. He's also uh, a, a, like a lightning rod for people too because he's he's so flamboyant when he's winning and then like so petulant when he's losing, which is yeah. kind of my whole thing with him. But we don't have to get into all that. But he was he's a larger than life character when he's when he's playing the game well. He is. And he's a larger than life character anytime. And, and I think it is worth talking about it a little bit about his personality because it's a big part of why he has this role for Under Armour. Um, he was named the creative director for their campaign for for his shoe, which is the C one C one N shoe. Okay, that makes sense to me. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, at least it's it's associated with him. It's not the whole brand. Mm-hmm. Um, something interesting about Under Armour actually is like a lot of these young, up and coming stars. Even though Under Armour doesn't command the same uh, market share that like Nike and Reebok do, still, I think like Steph Curry, certainly Cam Newton, some of these like younger hotter up and coming big stars in the in the in pro sports mm-hmm. are signing on with Under Armour so they're a brand to watch in terms of celebrity endorsements um so Cam Newton also apparently has a production company of his own called Iconic Saga Natch um why don't they just call it like something more know, grandiose ep- epic hero was epic hero <laughs> taken um but they, the tagline for this campaign, and, and I, the thing about this C1N shoe is they make a cleat that's this brand or that's this line. This is the first time in Under Armour's history that they've made like a, it's a sneaker, but it's like a casual wear sneaker. So it's like they're aiming for someone like, you know, like someone who's not a professional or or a, someone who's not a, a sports player, but just like needs a sneaker, needs yeah. a good looking sneaker. Um, the tagline for this campaign is ferocity meets artistry. Um, and this is uh, Cam Newton on that tagline. Ferocity reflects the hard work that goes into improvement and striving for success. It is never easy and not glamorous. Artistry is the confidence to remain true to yourself under all circumstances, to be beautifully you. The C1N shoe transitions between both of these worlds. The hard work of training and preparing for competition and the boldness of lifestyle and fashion. As a reflection of the different shades of my personality on and off the field. He didn't write that. No, but I will say, though, it doesn't irk me coming from him only because the other thing that he's really known for is when I say flamboyance, I, I, am, I was mostly thinking of just his kind of personality, his over-the-top personality and stuff. His, but he's his also like... to go to Coachella and wear a male romper, for he, example. He is... I, I, listen, the type of stuff he wears is not for me, and <laughs> obviously I would not be able to pull it off. But if there's one person who's kind of got that Joe Namathy, like, on yes. the cutting edge of fashion in the NFL, it is him. And, like, people make fun of him about it. And I think, again, people who make fun of his... What appears to be kind of goofy. Well, it's not with ease. It's not. (laughs) It's not. Like, I mean, I think I know. I think I have a kind of an understanding. It's style. And it's like over the top cutting edge style so that people are kind of like, you know, knuckle draggers are kind of like, oh, my God, like Cam Newton, you're really going to go to a press conference with that hat? And he's like, well... Yeah, he is because he knows way more about fashion than you do. Again, it's yeah. not for me he's either. The, he's but the I, Kanye of sports. Yeah, it's kind of like making fun of making fun of his fashion really only kind of belies one's own 
lack of fashion or provincialism. Or provincialism. Yeah. Again, it's not for me, but I understand that like he's probably le- leaps and bounds ahead of the game. Like not unlike maybe like Pharrell with his hat, right? right? Like you're not making fun of Pharrell and his hat. Pharrell knows what he's fucking doing with his hat. Yeah. And Why he, am I getting so upset? He cre- uh, yeah. Who like, am I fighting with? Who are you? Well, but you are fighting them because it because Cam does uh, generate a lot of controversy. Some of it is, I think, when he behaves like a baby when he loses a game. I think that's deserved criticism i agree with you when knuckle draggers are like football players shouldn't wear a fancy hat like that that's dumb right um this is cam again on on this campaign they allowed me to produce the creative and be the creative director for the overall campaign which was an exciting challenge he said i think it is fair to say that we collectively came up with a vision and trusted each other in exploring new territory i hope he did say that actually because i would like to think that cam i've always wanted more from from cam than than Cam has given us, you know, like I think he he's an amazing athlete when he's on point, um, and you know when his when his receivers are are healthy, um, but like, you know, I I want him to be better than he is sometimes. Like I want him to live up to the hype of his of his own making. Mm-hmm. So I hope that he really does have a cre- a, a production company that he's not just. A rubber stamp or you know he's not just a name attached to i hope he does have some kind of creative ambitions because i think he could be a really cool he could be like a kanye like a multi-talented kind of guy you know maybe i i do think that there's just something as long as he doesn't go crazy like kanye i think there's something more personal when you're with a tennis shoe like you can't isn't there a simpsons where homer gets to create a t- no no homer gets to create a car yeah it's like oh <laughs> homer's car like it's basically a ridiculous clown car of the future um but I do think there's something personal about putting your name on a tennis shoe. Like, these are the, you know, like, the most famous one I can think of. And I'm not in this world. Like, I've never owned any of these shoes. I'm not a sporto. But you think of the, you know, Michael Jordan, oh, the Air Jordan, right? It's like, forever the gold standard. So I don't think you're going to have as much of a Stefani. Even Stefani, like, I believe that she probably sat in some meetings and probably said, well, what if we put, like, a fake diamond on the front of this camera for bling or whatever? Some of these, though, really strain credulity that the person is anything but walking out there and saying, I'm a spokesperson for this, but they gave me, quote-unquote, creative title. Uh, You would think with Cam Newton, with somebody who fashion is so important to him, he's releasing a shoe with his name on it. Yeah. You would guess that he would be pretty damn involved in this process. And yeah. I don't like this guy, by the way. I really don't. I think that's a real his his showboating combined with his petulance is a disgusting character trait for me, and I think he's obnoxious. But I, you know, I'll give him this. Well, why don't we watch the spot that they did um, oh, for no. the campaign? Oh no, I didn't know there was a spot. Yeah, there's a link to it in uh, in the show sheet if you want to click is this on gonna it. Turn me around. Um, it didn't make me that mad. So the the spot is called ATL Atlanta. He's from Atlanta. It's all about his love of his hometown. You see a lot of the shoe. I'll be interested to get your take on the shoe itself. And he just kind of ties his love of of his hometown to to this campaign. Um, he also did, and I don't think it's covered in this, I don't think you see it in this um, spot, but they did a whole uh, carnival for kids in Atlanta for like underserved kids from like the Boys and Girls Club. And I got to tell you, like you want to be mad and then you see a bunch of like just over the moon kids hanging out with Cam Newton and like, you know, shooting hoops with him and getting their face painted. And it's just like, uh, I don't, I don't have it in me to be mad at that. (laughs) Being from Atlanta has uh, impacted my life in so many different ways. 
the way I think, the way I dress, the way I act, the swag that I bring on and off the field, the, just the trailblazing mentality. It's all in the way I walk. I hope people see it in the way I talk, and, and, and I hope you know people see it in, in, in the way I carry myself. It's as long as I'm winning. Different about a person from Atlanta. You already know about the swag that person represents. That's like me. I, I represent. Yeah, you do. Um, I guess I'm fine with that. Again, my underlying thing is he he acts like he's got all this swag until like he you know. He, he doesn't uh, convert a third down and suddenly he's just on the sideline with a towel over his head, just like moping like that's not swag, my friend. But that's not what we're here to talk about. Oh, let's move on. You got it. You you mentioned Justin Timberlake at the top uh, as having a song that spoke uh, quite directly to this uh, question of how much our celebrities really contributing to these creative processes. Um he would he would know because he was allegedly the creative director of uh, Bud Light Platinum. And I'll warn you now, this is really just a um, an excuse for me to read a lot of very negative coverage of the beer of Bud, <laughs> okay. Bud Light Platinum. Can I be uh, honest with you? I saw a Bud Light Platinum in the store the other day. We are a Bud Light family. People make fun of us for that. I don't care. It's summertime. I, I, we have a cooler. It's often filled with Bud Light. You reach in that cooler. You pull one out. It's refreshing on a summer evening. Having said that, I did see next to my precious Bud Light, there was some Bud Light Platinum. And I was like... What is Bud Light Platinum? Now that you said this, I'm remembering. Oh yeah, he was connected to it. Is it? Is it? I thought maybe it was low carb, or no. lower carb. Let or me something. read you a description of it, right. and then um, I forgot to grab the link. But could you go look for the link um, for his ad? It was it was ubiquitous for a while. It's a you. It's to the song "Suit and Tie," which they released at the, he released at the same time that this campaign came out. And it's uh, of a woman getting ready to go out to a Justin Timberlake con- concert. Oh, okay. And it's for Bud Light Platinum. But I'll read you a description. Um, so this is what the company had to say about Bud Light Platinum. Uh, he, and by the way, Timberlake was charged with providing creative, musical, and cultural curation, which is sounds difficult. Um, this is the company. Bud Light Platinum brings a refined, discerning aesthetic to beer that plays well with what I'm doing. Oh, I'm sorry. This is this is JT. I'm looking forward to not only being a part of the creative process, but in bringing other talented musicians to the forefront as well. Um, this is what the, uh, I think it was the Washington Post maybe had to say, had to say about it. It was, a, it was, um, industry analyst, David Williams, who was asked to, who was interviewed about it. Bud Light, uh, Bud Light with 6% alcohol, sorry, Bud Light Platinum with 6% alcohol by volume and a sweet taste is an oxymoron in my mind. It's not drinkable and it's certainly not going to attract spirit shoppers over to beer as planned. The idea was uh. it's a higher alcohol per volume than Bud or Bud Light or or your average kind of like, you know, mass-produced beer. And kind of trying to appeal to more, like if you're in the club, right. which I've never been in, you're getting bottle service, this idea of you're getting things, you know, your cocktails on the rocks. I mean, that's the image that goes along right. with it. Right, they're trying to make it a more, it's, it's all like... Uh, sort of prestige. And this all coming back to me now because I'm starting to remember the, the commercial. And now he's trying to take this this beer, Bud Light, which has like the opposite of an in-the-club right. kind of feel, um, and make it like elevate it to elevate that. It, that was exactly. the whole idea. Platinum. So this is what Williams... the Redefining beer. bottle service. That's what I would have said. You know that bottle service has to do with champagne, right? Right, but it's like a bottle that is brought out to your table and it's a very specific service. Yeah, I suppose. So I think that like redefining the bottle <laughs> in bottle service. It, no, well, whatever, I'm working on it. Uh, so Williams says, its taste is not for Bud Light drinkers, so don't get it uh, okay. instead of Bud Light. 
So I'm expect so I'm expecting a lot of product on the shelves with very little repeat purchases at the premium super premium price point. It's mm. better than Bud Light Golden Wheat, but that's a very low base. <laughs> what the hell, Golden Wheat? It's really interesting. I actually got it kind of went down a rabbit hole on beer and mm-hmm. particularly um, Anheuser Busch uh, InBev, which is like they they were bought out by this Belgium company, so they're this huge multinational conglomerate, and they are losing market share year after year to craft beers. So what they're doing is just buying up every craft beer in America. It's like more and more it's hard to buy a local brew because mm-hmm. Anheuser-Busch owns it. So it really made me kind of not want to buy them anymore like and just stick to like local yeah. local beers. We could probably make a, a more of an effort to do that, but we hit on this in last week's show or two weeks ago when we were talking about yeah. Rainier. Like, yeah, Rainier beer that's cool because it's branded as being from the Pacific Northwest, but that is now... I can't remember who we said, whether it's Imbev or somebody else. But like all of those are just being bought up. So what do you, you can, I guess the people listening now are like, there are, you're in Seattle. There are a I million micro brews. Send us but some what recommendations. But you just want like kind of a, but you, listen, I'm not a fancy person. Like I love a good IPA in the winter and I, but in the summertime, I just want a cheap ass beer and yeah, it's like, hard to get like kind of a cheap, and I don't mean even cheap price point. I just mean cheap ass beer. I don't want too much flavor. Yeah, no, and, that, and that is why we drink Bud Light. And they were saying like they're losing, they're cannibalizing their own sales to like um, I think Modelo they own. Oh, so like a lot of those Mexican beers yeah, are like getting those. getting kind of, but but they own a lot of but those Mexican beers. Little, yeah. Like they they're they own like five hundred brands of beer. It's crazy. Huh. Anyway, so here's why don't we play this commercial because this this will remember you'll remember this. I remember it pretty vividly. Seeing the the um the kind of still grab here reminds me it's a black and white uh, commercial. He is Justin Timberlake is on stage kind of dressed like kind of an old school crooner. I assume he's singing suit and tie here. Yeah. I think he already said that. So he's wearing a suit and tie and he's singing into one of those old fashioned ribbon microphones. Picture, um, uh, you know, any of the, any of the old crooners of, of yesteryear. So you've got like an attractive young couple sitting around their house, getting ready to go out, drinking some Bud Light Platinum, putting on their fancy clothes. Oh yeah, he's the the fella's putting on a suit, she's putting on her fancy dress and jewelry. They're on their way, they're in a cab, they're living a sophisticated, glamorous life. Very now, sophisticated. Now they're very at the, very the venue. Sexy. Yeah, it's it's they're cho- toasting with their equally cool and multicultural friends. They're white, of course. Don't sweat it. Oh, they went to a JT concert. He's on stage. Andrew, you're exactly right. What this brand, what this idea that this brand is going for, right? It's like for sophist- for urban sophisticates. Young, yeah. Like, can you imagine um, this whole commercial if it was just for Bud Light? It would be like a parody commercial, practically, because Bud Light means rodeos yes. and roadhouses, ro- and yeah, maybe riding in the back of a of a truck filled with hay. Yeah, I, I don't know, like that Sounds kind of stuff. Great. Which is why I like Bud Light. It speaks to my jumping lifestyle. in the quarry and then breaking the bottles afterwards. That, <laughs> that's right. God, that does. That's exactly what happened at the old quarry in New Hampshire. All right. It. So to close out this segment. Oh, you're building up to it. You're building up to your uh, this, featured presentation. Our featured presentation, and we have talked about this one before, but I have some new information to share. 
Right. Um, about a year ago. <laughs> Wait, it's about Bob Dylan? What? Why can I not you, do any Were imitations? you trying to do All Right, All Right, All Right? I but I didn't want to do it three times because I thought it was too <laughs> obvious. So I tried to do it once and I think I did like... It only All right. <laughs> I'm Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> has right, has Bob done. Dylan been the creative <laughs> director for anybody? He should be. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so this is Matthew McConaughey for Wild Turkey Bourbon, uh, which is a, a brand that's quite old but owned by Campari. So uh, he does this whole song and dance about uh, how this is a three-generation American company. Like, yeah, but they they were bought out by Campari. Like, let's let's all live in the real world here why don't you just start by playing this uh this video so this is a six minute video that wild turkey has i remember this on its website we did play it before so i know we're going to recover a little bit of ground here but i just want to set the stage can i just ask in the beginning wasn't this uh, something about a reaction to there's kind of a, a competitive war going on between the brown liquors and the clear liquors specifically with the same kind of demographic we were talking about with the JT ad a second ago, right? And wasn't, weren't we reading that this was about trying to make bourbon replace the kind of clear liquors, your gins and tonics of, again, the kind of younger generation? Well, I remember an ad that was essentially that theme that starred Ray Liotta, where uh, Ray Liotta, uh, we did a we did a show about celebrity spokespeople, and this might have been the show we did with Ben, where we specifically. In fact, I know it was because Ben was appalled. fascinated and appalled yeah. by Ray Liotta's aggressive performance of masculinity. Um, <laughs> but there's an ad with Ray Liotta being like extra tough Ray Liotta, where he like makes fun, uh, openly mocks some men who who order yeah. cr- clear liquid cocktails right, okay. or clear clear liquor cocktails. Um, if that is part of this story with wild turkey, I don't remember it explicitly. I would say any brown liquor is always trying to get more market share, and that includes drinkers of clear spirits. Okay, well, here's a video you're talking about. This was uh, on their website. Folks, wild turkey came to me a few years ago to be the celebrity spokesman for their brand and their new campaign. And I really liked the idea. But the more I thought about it, I said, look, I want to be more than just a, the face in the campaign. I want to have my hands in the clay of how we tell the story. And I want to be a part of the whole story, not just the character in it. So this is my new gig, creative director of the new Wild Turkey campaign. Surprise, that was me talking the whole time, doing <laughs> an amaz- that was, amazing that McConaughey. That was a really convincing McConaughey. Thank you. Thank you. Should we play the real one now? Or that's basically that's it, basically, right? You okay, nailed it. Yeah, that yeah, was great. Um, so I just, I like that story. I like that as a little setup here for what, for the story I want to share with you now. Um, and I should say the rest of that video again is like him just jerking off this family of like whisk of bourbon brewers in, uh, in Kentucky about how amazing they are. And I got, Oh, when did your daddy first take you on his knee and tell you about bourbon making. I just want to hear that story. Yeah, it sounds like I must be wrong about them trying to take a bite into the kind of club scene on this or the younger oh, generation yes. because this is, this is more, this is going the totally opposite direction. This yeah. is down-home folksy. Absolutely. It's all about you know like American and tradition. I mean, I'm surprised they didn't like have some coal miners in there. Um, so the way he framed that, right, was very much like, oh, they came to me and said, like, mm-hmm. we'd be our celebrity spokesperson. I was like, only if you'll let me, like, work my hands on the magic of the <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And I think if you'll recall, uh, we, at the time we talked about this, I think it was the commercials in the news, there was a hilarious 
New York Times article where basically he said all this nonsense about like millennials can smell if you're soliciting them and I'm I'm not I got you got to be authentic and somebody from Campari said yeah, we really didn't know what we were getting into with uh, Matthew, but of course we're delighted <laughs> I remember that. that he is so enthusiastic. And it really had the sense of like, oh my God, this guy like is relentless. <laughs> this is a story that was in Adweek and they do some a segment called Agency Spy, which is like their gossipy section, oh, which I, is my great. total favorite. And it's the story itself, which I'll post to the uh, Facebook uh, group, is a little hard to follow because it's written in the way that like a variety story is written with like, They don't really explain who any of the characters are, any of the agencies are. They just kind of like assume if you're reading this, you know who MSDCNN is or whoever. So I had to go back and look all this up. This is, as best I can tell, the timeline as it actually happened. So last July, like July of 2016, um, Matthew McConaughey was hired as the creative director for Wild Turkey Bourbon. Um, And so that's kind of like where we first heard about it. The way that that happened was... um, Prior to that, McConaughey had just like started hanging out at this Austin ad agency called GSD&M. Just like it sounds like he just he knew somebody like he had some Austin. Yeah, it's Austin. He's an Austin guy or he's a Texas guy. And like he knew one of their other celebrity sort of stakeholders or something, some football guy. But apparently he would just like wander on in there and like probably like sit backwards on a chair and talk to a bunch of people and bother a bunch of like young people working at their job. Like That's somebody, how I imagine it's like it. somebody brought their dog to work and it's cute for the first like yes. two minutes and then it becomes distracting. It's like, ah, oh, God, who brought their McConaughey to work? Yeah. Today? Can someone let the McConaughey out? He's calling at the door again. Around the same time, some Campari exec was sat on a plane next to um, Matthew McConaughey's commercial agent, which I assume is different from like his movie agent or yeah. whatever. Um, and they just sort of like struck this, sounds like struck this handshake deal over, I'm sure, like their third cocktail in first class to like uh, have Matthew McConaughey be the celebrity spokesperson. But, and that's probably what he's referring to there when he says like they approached me about being their, their, pers- their spokesperson. But then it emerges that, like, oh, no, Matthew doesn't just want to be the celebrity spokesperson. He wants to, like, handle the business. But, uh uh-oh, problem. Campari had already made a deal with uh, this uh, this, uh, agency called Vitro, which is part of a larger corporation. doesn't really matter. Um, But they had already made a deal with Vitro, who I think was at the time like even servicing their account and they had basically made a deal for them to do a whole new campaign with them so they on the one hand hire or sort of like make an agreement to hire mcconaughey thinking i guess that he would just be like they would just throw his celebrity you know star power into this campaign but he doesn't want to do what vitro is doing even though apparently what he wanted to do and what vitro wanted to do and had already like market tested vitro's campaign tested a lot better and of course these are pros. These are people who know how to make ads and run projects and manage like campaigns, you know. But you got Matthew McConaughey, right? And nobody wants to say no. And nobody wants to like let this big fish off the hook. So they basically um, junked the whole Vitro campaign that they had done a lot of work on. I'm sure cost thousands of dollars. Thousands of dollars. Thousands. It cost it hundreds cost- and hundreds of dollars. <laughs> cost tons of money, I'm sure. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um and then they tried to get this other, remember this agency that McConaughey had been like going and like hanging out I at do. in Austin. They tried to get them to kind of come on board and be like his collaborators to like, again, give him some amount of professional 
backing yeah. besides just his like harebrained ideas. But they couldn't make an agreement. They could So then that that bunch of work that that team had done went out the window. And because if I don't know if you realize this, but like when a creative agency pitches a company, they like especially the farther you get down that road, like you end up doing almost almost a whole campaign in some cases. And then if you do, if you just if they decide not to hire you, they can't use that work. That work just like goes into the garbage. Yeah, like Mad Men. Yeah. Um. So. Long story short, uh, McConaughey signs a f- three to four year contract uh, contract that's probably between um, three and five million dollars, um, plus whatever fees he gets as a uh, director and producer. Um, and then they just bring in this other agency called the J. Walter Thompson Agency to s- basically just be the work, do the work of everything sure. he's doing. But they like they do it really quietly, like. They wouldn't even put it in the press release that this agency had been hired. They just like they tried to make it sound like it really was just like the magic of McConaughey who was directing this whole thing right. and like project managing this whole thing. But like there is an agency doing all the legwork, but they have just clearly been told like your job is to be quiet and stand behind the curtain. This is one as annoying as he is, and again I'm relying on faulty memory, but I do believe that he tried to be as involved as he possibly could, right? I believe it, but I mean, I think it's like having a three-year-old try to be as involved as they possibly can. Like, I hate, you know, I make a lot of, I talk a lot of smack about communications professionals. I am one. I feel entitled. But there is, I feel sad when I read about these celebrity creative directors for people whose actual title is creative director, because that's a real job. Sure. And it's both creative, but also directing. And I think a lot of these celebrities are just like, they only hear the creative part and they love the idea of having a title that's not just like actor or musician after their name. But if you, I think that we both agree that there are probably people who get the, you know, celebrities who get the the quote unquote creative director title. And some of those are probably just like, totally disinterested it's all like whatever my manager's handling it i will i'll show up for a meeting as and long then, as like, your money's green check a box. Yeah, yeah right whereas probably there are some like mcconaughey and um jay-z and jay-z and, and probably some of these sports figures as well when they're dealing with tennis shoes that not that they're designing the tennis shoes themselves although that's a whole interesting story with the uh uh what is it alonzo ball lorenzo ball oh n- well no time to get into that and i don't even know what i'm talking about but um uh, anyway, I, I believe that they would want to have some sort of control over it, whether or not the agency wants them to or whatever. I believe that McConaughey probably was doing more than just cashing the checks. And I, I, I believe that, too. But I wonder how how uh, helpful, it, helpful actually was. it actually was. Why don't you give this wild turkey the journey begins? This is the first spot or at least the only spot I could find from this campaign uh, a play. We're not in a rush to be most popular. Not in a rush not to be. You're, you're following a woman through a crowded club or crowd, crowded jazz club carrying a, a glass of bourbon. Kind of a, the score says he asked almost one shot. And she brings it to Matthew McConaughey, who's playing a piano out of doors. <laughs> out of doors. Kind of a fancy yet roadhousey vibe at the same time, sort of. It's got a fancier vibe than roadhouse. But I mean, he's like outside playing the piano in a yeah, way that is Yeah, but it's upscale. Like, yeah, They're definitely, definitely going for an upscale definitely vibe. Upscale. I think it's interesting. You know, it's got the, just a hint of sex about it as well, or sexiness. She's carrying the, the, the camera focuses on the glass of whiskey, which she's carrying just kind of down... Uh, by her side, so the camera, of course, is 
focused on just kind of the hem of her skirt. It's, it's not like dirty or anything. It's just kind of got that like, again, kind of uh, this little bit of sexiness and um, that upscale kind of vibe that you're talking about as well. But also, you know what the vibe is? The vibe is the wedding is over and now we're still all dressed up, but we're cutting loose a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. And I just want to, I just want to say one more thing. Um only because I'm obsessed with it, my, my bullshit before about having a vague memory of competition between brown liquor and clear liquor for kind of the younger generation of drinkers. Um, I found a Up Rocks article here and a Quartz article that kind of are saying what I th- remembered, which is you have this generation of younger people who kind of started drinking the the clear liquors and the flavored vodkas and all of that stuff. But then they started to have an image problem now in like 2015, 16, and 17 because those same people are looking down at their youth and kind of like, oh, those bubblegummy flavor vodkas and stuff I was drinking are so immature now. Mm-hmm. So you actually have kind of more of a, a boon for the more mature sounding, hey, we're all grown ups here now. Well, let's have let's have a bourbon neat or whatever. And now it's actually the clear liquors that are trying to compete with that and they're like creating like brown vodkas and stuff like that. Yeah, the um the sales for Wild Turkey are through the roof. They were they were a major driver for Campari's overall sales uh, last year, with or without McConaughey, I think. All right. Um, well, thanks for doing all that. That's super interesting. Should we move on to the ad council? Let's do it. Everybody's talking at me. I don't hear words saying. Only the echoes of my mind. All right. You guys know how to get at us. You email us at after these messages show at gmail.com. We have the Facebook group. More on that in a bit. And a. Voicemail line as well. Veeves, what is in the mailbag today? Well, the one thing that was in the mailbag was one platform that you didn't mention, and which we rarely mention, which is Twitter, um, mostly because I'm pretty bad at it, Twitter. Uh, but I am making Paul F. Tompkins an honorary member of the Ad Council, uh, whether he likes it or not, because he posted... Uh, Did you book him? Well, <laughs> I told you, you're in charge of the show this week. Come on. He was. He had a schedule conflict. He really wanted to be mm, here, okay. um, but he did post something to Twitter that made me laugh. Um, it was a. It was a spot for a, a product called the Hurricane. And this is like your your sort of standard like um, pitched at at elderly people, kind of an infomercial style uh, uh, product. But there's a moment at the end uh, that is so hilarious to me and to Paul and I said I sent it to you as well that just made me laugh so please tell me that they use the again Bob Dylan song this is the story of hurricane <laughs> no it does not oh that is a missed I'm, opportunity I'm sure they could not get the rights <laughs> all right so just play this so it looks like um we have an old man sitting on a bench and another old man approaching him on the bench the man who is standing and i assume about to sit down next to his friend is using the hurricane which is a, what a cane that is kind of oh they're gonna tell you oh okay they're gonna tell you well, all Walter. about it well aren't you the dapper dandy today yeah well it never hurts for a man to look his best you should try it sometime what's that that my friend that's my new hurricane cute and not only looks good but it has a comfortable handle and it stands by itself big deal more than you can do (laughs) and it flexes makes getting around so much easier Hmm. walter get out of the stone age 
Get out of here. That's what you saw. Okay. okay, now, the, now. With, with that George Thorogood esque guitar, apparently they could afford that. Uh, we see a woman of a certain age, but you know, walk into keeping their, it tight. Sure, keeping it tight. She's a, a woman, probably probably around their age, say sixties yeah. or whatever, and uh, and and she starts strutting by. Oh. Well, hair flip. They both the look at her appreciatively. Fashion canes in the dust. Then the hurricane guy immediately, his hurricane like, because he's folded it up, it unfolds in one smooth motion and he like canes over and catches up with her and offers her his arm while um, old guy with a traditional cane clumsily drops it to the ground and has to fumble around for it. And so he just ends up staying on the bench. So (laughs) let's see here. So in this world, I just want to make this clear. In this world, let's just, okay. In a world. Two old men are sitting on a bench. (laughs) An attractive woman walks by. They both race to be the first person to get next to her because right. whoever gets next to her within a mo- matter of seconds, yep. she's going to take that old man's arm and they're just going to go on a date for the rest of the day together without any more. I assume I they're going to get married. There's not even enough time for them to exchange names before she takes his arm in this. That's right. Thank you, Paul. Thanks, Paul. We really... <laughs> <clears throat> Wow. Okay. Different generation. Um, what is? What else do we? Have? Oh, do, Taylor. She's got a special. Um, I see. You got something here from Taylor, and she doesn't. She have a special. Isn't she our, um, like creative in chief or something like that? No, no. I she's think our. She, she's our marketing. Our chief marketing officer. Chief marketing. Yeah. Um, so right. Taylor sent us something. This is um, uh, commercials in the news, and so uh, I wanted to include it here because although it is a commercial in the news, it is uh, also from a ad counselor. Uh, and this is a, a story from the New York Times uh, with the headline, Britain Cracking Down on Gender Stereotypes in Ads. So apparently Britain has had enough of the ads. And I have I have griped about this on this show in a number of contexts. Uh, most recently, I think, or, or most memorably for me, I was in the airport a while ago and I saw um, a big poster for, I think it was for Make-A-Wish Foundation, and it was all the things that, like, a kid who oh, who I had, make, yes. had a, Make-A-Wish, a Make-A-Wish kid could wish for, and it was like, meet an astronaut or a fireman or a whatever, whatever. And literally, although I will say you don't know who's in the astronaut suit, the only gendered role for a woman in this pantheon of, like, amazing things that you could meet like adults you could meet, was princess. Yeah. And it made me so furious. Well, Britain's had enough, too. After seeing ads like Kate Upton for Games of War, which, you know, she's in the, like, you know, metal bustier, mm-hmm. um, a beach, like, are, are you beach body ready with, like, crazy, like, un- unrealistic body standard? And this is the one that really got me. An ad for something, I don't know what it was, where the, there's a baby boy who's pictured growing up to be a mathematician and a baby girl who's pictured growing up to be a ballerina. Jesus. Um, the, I mean, not that ballerinas aren't tough as nails, too. No, of but course. Like, but why could, can't the boy be a, ball, exactly, a ballet dancer? Yeah, I mean, yeah. ballet, ballet dancing is great, but like, let's not right. put people in their little boxes. So Britain has an advertising regulator, which is called the Advertising Standards Authority. And they announced recently that new rules would be developed to ban advertising that promotes gender stereotypes, denigrates people who do not conform to them, or sexually objectifies women, or promotes unhealthy body images. So I think this is interesting. How binding are these rules? I'm unclear on that. And I, and I have to say, I kind of took, did a real shallow uh, read of this New York Times piece. But 
presumably they can do something to enforce it. And I'm sure there will be some, you know, like any regulation, there's someone whose job it is to subjectively evaluate these things. This would never fly here, of course. You and I are both literally card carrying members of the ACLU, so yeah. I, I can't, I can't get down with any. Um, I can't either with the government telling any. Hopefully, hopefully, you develop a society where people have the right kind of values and they smell things that are, you know, like the Kendall Jenner ad. That thing took care of itself. You didn't need uh, the government saying this is wholly inappropriate. Having said that, it's nice to see that they're recognizing it. One part of the story too is it's not just the gender stereotypes of you know, I don't know, the the roles of women, but also doesn't this address what we call the man-baby syndrome as well? That I understand that's one tier of this, that even commercials that depict the men who are just kind of like, oh, no, your mom's not coming home. How I do guess, I clean the dishes? Oh, yeah. I guess we're going to have takeout. Right. Like that whole shit. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it goes both directions. And I think this is, it's a great example of how uh, patriarchy, patriarchy, patriarchy hurts men and women. Um, but I agree with you. I think... Right idea, wrong enforcer. This should be something that the people that in our consumer behavior we reject, but at the same time, like they just have a different understanding of those the role of government in European countries. So it'll be interesting to see if this shifts the conversation and shifts actual attitudes, which I think it really has a, the possibility of doing. You can you can shift people's perceptions and preconceptions. Um by legislating these kinds of things, the question is whether that's right or wrong to do. As I have said a lot, you and I were your classic free market liberals. <laughs> it's hard sometimes to know where the right thing is. Um, this is from listener Mike, and he said, uh, quote, I almost peed a little. Okay, this is a commercial. Should we do, do us any setup on this? I'll do a little setup. Audio? This okay. is a beautiful tropical beachhead somewhere uh lots of palm trees in the background there's a there's a stage singing on it is the artist seal and he's singing his classic uh kiss from a rose and uh he's kind of like leaning down to to talk to sort of like touch hands with all of the adoring fans in the crowd <laughs> so the commotion you heard was a shark jumping out of the water behind him and eating him and then the the words it's a bad week to be a seal that's pretty great Welcome to shark week. that's wonderful it's wonderful that he did that i love that's seal. awesome that's fantastic and uh oh brian yeah i wanted to i wanted to close with this one brian had a great idea and i, I almost brian suggested this in the facebook group as a possible idea for a show and although i think it is it could be a whole show i didn't want to sit on it too long because i think this is just a really good point um but if we if we come up with some other examples i'd be willing to revisit it he talked about the idea of making the bad guy like the bad guy is not the bad guy in a commercial like it just doesn't make sense that this would be the antagonist and I think that's a really interesting idea like explain what do you mean or well, do we I just have to use this I'll explain yeah. with this example this is a visa commercial from 10 years ago and uh, Brian says it still bothers me you're it's in a diner and there's this very heavily choreographed thing going on in the diner like where they're they're just moving it's almost like a um uh, like a, a conveyor, what? Sorry, not a conveyor belt, but um, 
an assembly line oh, okay. of getting like getting people their food they get to the cash register they pay for the food they get out the door it's just like it's all very choreographed so it's all moving at like clockwork because everybody's paying with their visa card but then somebody like brings the whole thing to oh. a crashing halt because he pays with cash but as brian says the dude that pays with cash is the antagonist anyone that actually works in retail knows it's just the opposite and in fact it's uh. definitely true in retail because they actually don't want you to pay they, they want you to pay with cash because they don't pay the charge fee that they have to pay on a credit card, right? They eat that fee. And that's why often it'll say under $10, we can't accept credit cards because it's just not worth it to them. It, it cut, cuts into their margins so much. I thought that that was changing a little bit because there, if I'm in a place now, everybody's using Square. Like I, you're not they, as no, much. No, they still a, charge you. I know they charge you, but you're not quite as much of a slave to like the, um, the, the kind of, bank operated clunky old um debit card slider that is like oh our internet's down like we go to a restaurant and it's kind of a hit you know a bit of more i'm thinking of bowl um the kind of n- new school vietnamese place that's kind of a little bit a little trendy feeling i like it but when it's time to pay they come over to you with an ipad and they're ready to like just like ring up your meal at the spot. I actually do think that in some cases like that, if I was like, well, I'm gonna pay. Here's a here's a forty dollars being with my change. That would probably not be as smooth for that operation, don't you think? I would be interested to hear from anyone who's in food service or retail who can tell me if this is true. I think they do that because they know it's de rigueur. Mm. I do not think it is better for the establishment. For one thing, anytime you use plastic, they're you're, they're paying a fee, whether you pay whether whether you do with a knuckle buster or a square. Also, when you use square, they pay a fee for that. So every time there's a piece of technology between them and getting the money, mm-hmm. that takes out of their pocket. But uh, yeah, I guess though, and I'm getting pretty far afield. And also, Michael says this commercial is ten years old, so a lot has changed in those 10 years. So either way, this would have been going in 2007 to Michael. It's Michael, right? I'm not messing Brian. up. Brian. Sorry, Brian. You look like a Michael. What do you want me to say? Um, if in this day and age when most people do pay with cards anyway, just to go back to this restaurant we go to, okay, I can pay with cash. Like just one old man Andrew can pay with cash. But at this point, they've built in that square fee to the degree that they, it's much more worth it for them to get people in and out of that place, in and out. People are waiting for a table as opposed to like, ah, the old man at that table is trying to pay with a 40. Do we have any cash? Okay, let's make the thing. I, I don't, I'd be you don't shocked think so. if that were the case. All right, okay. Anyway, um, why, I don't know, pay, why am I so fighting? Let's just play this. I think this is an interesting, I, this this commercial too is interesting in the, the, false, the false equivalent, they're not false equivalency, but like the false uh, reality that it sets up because... It's a beautifully choreographed thing, and we'll play it in a second here. It's beautifully choreographed the way everything's happening, like clockwork, like clockwork, and kind of what you're describing at the restaurant we go to, where they just show up, they have the square, you run it, it's easy. Mm-hmm. But this isn't how life works. Like People don't buy things in a way that is like, if you get out of some cash, it's going to like slow things down. Like The world is not, it's, we're not on an assembly line. Yeah. So it's just like it just creates this false reality totally to the service of totally in the interest of the credit card companies and not in the interest of the retailer. And so it is um, it's dishonest or misleading to present this as a big favor to the retailer. I agree with Brian. So you're not really going to hear anything. So I'll just describe what you're seeing. It's this sort of like Busby Berkeley style 
choreography in this diner where everything is happening all at once. Plates are getting thrown. People are catching their food. The food's coming out of the toaster and flying into the air. Now, this guy's going to be getting his bag, catching it in midair. Everybody's just running their Visa card. No matter what the price, just run the Visa card. Run the Visa card. No need to make change. Now they're serving hundreds of people. And soon, everybody gets to the register except for our friend who opens his wallet. And now everybody falls over and it's total chaos because somebody paid with cash. But he learned the his visa lesson. check card. Because money shouldn't slow you down. I don't know why I'm being so argumentative about this. Okay, even if you and uh, Brian slash and Brian, Michael Brian says this as a as someone who runs a till. A till. Okay, so that's fine, but. From an advertising standpoint, I give them credit for making this argument. Even if you sort of think, okay, this is BS because I'm in the industry. I mean, it's advertising. So much is BS. This is a really clever, specific way of selling your credit card. It's not just uh, you choose ours instead of the other one because you're going to get miles. Or There's only so many ways to mm-hmm. sell your credit card. And what I like about this is it's selling it. It's selling the idea of credit cards to businesses, keep your business running smoother, but and the, just like be more But the target is not business. No, that's a side thing. But then also implanting this idea in our heads that it's just like, it's just easier to have yeah. your card. It's just easier. And like, who wants to like, just like, oh, fumble around with it? Like, that's I just the think, big lie, Andrew. But I just think it's cool that they <laughs> thought creatively about like, what's a new way to sell a credit card as opposed to just like talking about our points reward system or our, um, what's the word I'm looking for uh, what your interest rate is yeah okay i i take your point that it's an interest that it's a a valid and creative way to um make your value proposition i think that it is deceptive or at least uh, misleading in the sense of i don't think any retailers i interact with would honestly prefer actually i take that back there are a couple of places now that I go to like food carts and things that do yeah. not take cash, so yeah, yeah, I could see that. Maybe I'm, maybe I'll come around. All right, but again, to Brian's point, um, this was rolling in t- uh, 2007, and yeah. a lot has changed since then. So certainly, certainly, um, I think his point is true for the vast majority of businesses, and certainly back then. You can sell anything. And we have to get out of here because after watching that Life Takes Visa commercial, I'm seeing that YouTube is recommending to me a video called What Happened to Charles Bronson? And it's 24 <laughs> minutes long. So we got to get on yeah, that. Yeah, so we've got, we got some stuff to do. <laughs> I'm dying to Please see Please keep reaching happened. out to us at the Facebook group. It's uh, really popping over there. Um, we've got After These Messages show at Gmail. Always a great place to reach us. And the voicemail is 607-444-5597. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next Tuesday. Veeves, thanks again for uh, doing the show today. My pleasure. Get it, get it, computer and Google it. If you find out all the reasons we the shit, then you the shit. Yeah, pooping on the track, call me Doodle Vic. Cool, cool, cool AD. Nothing new to the kid. What-